welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. I'm Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with Pastor Evan. You almost said my name. I did. It says it's right here in front of me. At Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And that's exactly why we do the Compass Equip podcast, because we want to help you do just that. We have uh, jumped into a new series over the last couple of weeks called The King Has Come, and the title of this sermon was True Worship Part 1 from Matthew 2, 1 through 6, and let's read it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." And as I studied the text, we came to this preaching point of true worship can only begin after you step off the throne and diligently search for the one who truly belongs there. And the teaching points that go along with that as we looked at the text were point number one, you need to take your place in Christ's kingdom. Uh, similarly uh, to the wise men who understood that they weren't the king, uh, and unlike Herod who thought that he was the rightful king, uh, he had to understand that that wasn't his place in Christ's kingdom. Uh, the wise men understood that and came to simply worship him. So you can take your place in Christ's kingdom in the same way we have to understand that we have to step off the throne of our own lives that does not belong to us uh, and put Christ on there where he belongs. We need to joyfully surrender uh, our lives to Christ, uh, simply that your life should not be a begrudging obedience to Christ, that you should, because of who Christ is, have a joyful surrender to him. And then finally, even though we'll get to these a little bit more in depth, to act on the truth of God's word uh, as we look at the wise men versus Herod and, and it, those leaders, the religious leaders, you have one who had a small amount of uh, God's word who acted on it faithfully and the wise men, and you had the other group who had so much of God's uh, word before them, but yet they wouldn't act on the truth of God's word because they weren't there to joyfully surrender to Christ to take their place in Christ's kingdom. What about you? Pastor Evan. What about me? What? What do you think about all that? It was nice. Was <laughs> you heard it the third time. There we go. Well, Pastor Hayden, you started off um, defining worship mm-hmm. for us in these uh, sermons. And if you want to know that definition, Compass, listen to the sermon. Now, the question I have is why define it? It's important to define worship because it's a word that we use often. It's a word we ascribe to our actions and activity, and it's a word we, do, we ascribe to the church uh, gathering. But yet, it's something that if we don't really understand what it is, how in the world are we ever going to, to understand what it is and how to do it and, and, what the, and what the Bible means when it says it? And simply, worship is not simply what we do, but who we do it for because of what they have done. And so when it comes to God, and it comes to what he's done in Christ, we worship, and it's not just what we do. Of course, it does encapsulate what we do. But it's what we do because of what Christ has done and who Christ is. Of course, he's died for our sins. He's, um, he's defeated death and the grave. That's what he's done. Who he is is the king of kings and eternally exalted to the right hand of the Father who will 
uh, one day rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. So therefore, we, in everything that we do, worship, adore him. We do uh, everything for him because he has saved us and he is the king of the universe. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, you mentioned in both services that it is important for us to understand the historical implications that Matthew is trying to refer to, not just the historical, but within history, there is theology. Within history, there is prophecy. Within history, there is, you know, geography. Mm -hmm. Now, again, Compass, if you want to know the different apologetics that Matthew uh, broke down, I encourage you to re-listen to the sermon. Mm -hmm. But why slow down? As a history major, like Mm -hmm. this is you know, a deep meal that I'm really enjoying. But I know that for a lot of people, when I, when asking what's the least favorite subject in school, it breaks my heart. History. And, I, and I call them to repent. <laughs> it's history. I'm like, no, it's math. Get it right. Oh, yeah, that too. Um, but why is it so important that we walk through slowly the history of the Bible as we're studying the Gospel of Matthew? Well, if I frame it in a different way that I have before, it's the simple way of why do you open the Bible? Because it's a history of what God has done. And so to uh, discount the, I, the fact that you need to go back further in history to affirm what Christ has been doing and is doing uh, would be to reject the idea that I even need to open the Bible. And if I need to open the Bible because it shows me how God has acted in history, well, then it makes sense that when I jump into a text like Matthew 2, I need to go understand the history before the uh, immediate context of the text that I'm in. And so in this particular instance, in Matthew 2, well, of course it matters where Jesus was born in Bethlehem because that's what history says will happen to uh, the, the Messiah. Uh, and of course it matters that Herod the king, the Edomite, is, is, is enthroned because that is uh, textually uh, cohesive to the history of uh, Esau or Edom and uh, Israel. And of course it matters that the wise men came from the east because when we look at the text, there was oftentimes when it was the Gentiles who understood and knew and responded to Christ before Israel ever even did. And it shows us not only what happens in history, it gives us the immediate context of the text and also helps us apply it to our lives today when we understand, particularly through the Gentiles knowing who Christ is, it it, it enlightens to us uh, the fact that Christ has come for the nations and not just for one particular group of people. And so that's why we look at history, and these sermons may seem like a long, uh, a laundry list of historical events, but they're historical events with implications to the text, with implications to our application, and we just have to understand that. And I know that it's hard. All good things that are worth doing are hard, uh, but and I believe progressively it'll be less historical as we go through the text, not that we won't go to history, but you have to have a foundation of the history before you start immediately uh, connecting what we're seeing in the text to past historical events. I was in a forewarn you, Compass Bible Church, as I've been you know, a little further along my study in Matthew right now. We're going to know a lot of the Old Testament because it's important. Mm-hmm. It's all progressively going that direction of Matthew. And so when it's Matthew, you know, Matthew's writing Jesus on the scene, it's not necessarily a surprise because everything was pointing to this happening in the first place. Right. So, Pastor Hayden. You mentioned in your first point for us when we um, scroll up a little bit, sorry, when we take our place in Christ's kingdom, if we do that, we will actually get to finally live in the way that God intended us 
in the intended for us when he created us. Yeah, let me give you the reason because I know you're going to ask. Tell me more. Okay, l- go back to. Don't tell me more. Explain, but tell me. Yeah, more. Uh, go to the garden. I'm there. No, I wish. You go to the garden, Adam and Eve. Uh, who created the garden? God. Who ruled over the garden? God. All right. What was Adam's responsibility? To be a steward and a gardener. And yes, and that's exactly right, and that's where I want to go. But in part of that responsibility was to enjoy the garden. Yes. Enjoy it. Enjoy everything. I made this, enjoy it, and be a good steward of what that I have created. And really, all, his place in the garden was to be a good steward and to enjoy his place in the kingdom of God. That is simply our responsibility. Now, if Adam would have rolled in there and said, I'm moving that tree, I don't like that tree, I don't even know what kind of tree that is, I'm getting rid of that, I'm going to create my own tree. Okay, can you imagine the chaos in the garden if Adam waltzed in and tried to create his own kingdom when it was God's all along? Now, imagine in the same way you not taking your place in Christ's kingdom. Same implications. You understand whose it is and that you don't belong at the head of that table, but you do belong at that table to enjoy and be a good steward of what God has given. And that, my friends, is how we begin to learn how to worship. So then how do we do that as believers? Do what? To How do we do that? How do we enjoy what God has given us, enjoy his kingdom as we're in the, our, the correct place? Well, we talked about worry. Even in our Life Group Leader podcast, as we're training our Life Group Leaders on uh, how to counsel people who worry, it's like, how, what do you mean how to do it? Yeah, by getting off the throne. You know who? You know people who worry are often people who are in, uh, who are wearing britches that are too big, as my grandparents used to say. You're, Explain you're getting, that getting, to us. Uh, well, it's a, you're wearing shoes that you that don't fit. You're wearing clothes that don't belong to you. They're too big, right? Uh, you, you heard the expression, uh, you got big shoes to fill. The fill. And that is always accompanied with a job that is in front of you that someone else could do that there is questions and doubt of whether you can do them. That would cause anxiety and worry, wouldn't it? Yes. Okay, imagine shoes the size of the universe that you have to somehow fit in. Big shoes. Big shoes. You can't do it. And so how do we enjoy what what we have at the table of Christ's kingdom? Getting in your seat, the one that you fit in. You don't fit on the throne seat. You fit in your seat. The one who turned from their sins, placed their trust in Christ, who sits on the throne, and you can enjoy your place at the table because you fit there. And so, therefore, you have peace with God through Christ, and you have a purpose in your life that fits the stewardship that God has given you, period. Point number two, joyfully surrender your life to God. So, then essentially, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, how does that make a, a joy when we surrender our lives to God? God has a will true yes all right and god is going to accomplish his will correct even if you're herod correct and herod's on the throne mm-hmm. and god doesn't want herod on the throne no we don't okay uh there's your point right god's going to do what god wants to do because it's his will and his universe of course all things aren't going all things aren't in so many ways exactly how god is going to make them everything is progressively going to end up that way especially at the culmination of Christ's return. Now, imagine you're a Herod on your own throne. That is not God's will. So imagine the chaos Imagine the chaos going on in Herod's life when he realized there's another king on the throne that was born, who is from ancient of days, who is going to rule, and all of the nations are going to bow down to him. That's a lot of anxiety for a guy. 
you and know? That, and that leads to most, I mean, it, no, all of our anxiety, all of our worry and concern that consumes our minds is because we are like Herod and we will not step off our throne mm-hmm. and to allow God to step on his throne. Right. And now what, what we're wondering why we are in conflict in our minds and our hearts and our emotions is because we are at war with the king who is supposed to be on the throne that we are trying to right. fight to keep. And we don't want to surrender it. And that's the thing. So many people don't joyfully surrender their lives. Uh, and if they claim to be Christian, they have a professed faith, or maybe they are, and you're just having a struggle, I guess, with your own idols in your life, is that you begrudgingly surrender. Uh, but there is no joyful surrender because you're trying to hang on to a throne that you don't belong in. And you're trying to build a kingdom that you think is good, but it's not. That will fail. And so then you, you progressively have this will of God pressing in on your life that's going to make your life miserable because it will. I mean, that's called, a lot of that's called sanctification. Right? If you're living in sin, and God is pressing in on you according to his will, well, your life isn't going to be joyful. I mean, it's going to be burdensome because you're living in a sin God wants nothing to be, wants no part of. And so you can't joyfully surrender because you're holding on so much to your own sin and your own kingdom that it keeps you from joyfully surrendering versus saying whether or not you're King Herod now or not, just saying, oh, I'm getting off of that. I should have never been there. And then I surrender, understanding the bad news that I was, I was at a place I shouldn't have been. And then saying, now every day I get to say, I never belong there. I couldn't fill those shoes anyway. And every day I just get to think about more ways I can ascribe glory to the one who belongs there and how I can work through the patterns of, of uh, creation in my life, according to like my marriage, how I'm raising my kids. God has created a pattern how those things ought to work in a godly way. And every day I get to search for ways to joyfully surrender my life to Christ. Like, think about that. That's exciting. There's nothing burdensome about that. All right. But how do we know about it? It's because we know about God's word. And at least to your third point, we need to act on the truth of mm-hmm. God's word. And why, why is it important that we remember that we need to act on this? We just can't go, yep, I agree with that. It's the same. I don't like, yeah, I mean, let me just use a real life example. Do you do anything with that? I mean, in, apart from watching movies and sports, something going on in real life. Can you imagine taking a driver's test or at least doing your study, your driver's study, and then you show up to the, uh, what is it, the DMV? No, the D- DPS? DHS? Well, it's DMV in the former DMV. state that we used to belong to. No, no, no. Well, I'm from Texas. I don't and know. And I, I never had to take a driver's test, so this may be a bad example. Uh, but I had to go, and I had and I had to study. And when I get up there, could you imagine if I said, yeah, I studied. Okay, we'll get in the car. Let's go. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I know what it says. All right, let's get in the car. Let's go. No, 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 no. You understand. I understand the truth of how to be a good driver. Okay, well, let's go be a good driver. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't. You have to get in the car and drive. But just simply like knowing God's word is not enough to, to live a joyfully surrendered life to him. You have to do it. Like you have to walk in that. That's the, God's word was isn't just for you to to look at. It's for you to live through. You see how that works. And so for you and I, it's acting on the truth of God's word isn't just filling our brain with the truth and the facts of God's word. It's allowing the truth of God's word uh, to uh, create application for us in our life as as husbands, as wives, as parents, as kids, as uh, professionals in the workplace, uh, whoever we are. Whoever we are. 
All right, Compass, we have application questions this week. Pastor Hayden, you know, how can we approach these questions well? Same way we do every week, that you will not just be a commentator, but an applicator. Right. Commentating on it is, is great, but we have a lot of commentaries out there that probably know, with scholars who probably know a little bit more than we do. Uh, but what we don't have enough of in our world is people applying God's Word. And so we got to make sure that as you're reading through these application questions, that you not only respond to the question of what the text says, but you respond to the question that talks about how this impacts our daily life. What does this do to for, for us today, tomorrow, and forever? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's mm. from God. Come and on. it's profitable for what? Teaching all of us? It to correct us, to yep. reproof us, and to train us in all righteousness that mm-hmm. the man of God or the people of God may be equipped for every, every good, work. good work. All right. We have a daily Bible reading spotlight. Yeah, we do. All right, mm-hmm. Compass, we are in Jeremiah still. We're in the weeping prophet. And the next two weeks, we'll be in a book written by Jeremiah. We Next week, we'll wrap up the book of Jeremiah and also then read through the book of Lamentations. But as a reminder for us that Jeremiah, which means, again, God appoints, and he appoints a prophet, he appoints kings, but he also appoints you know pagan kings to destroy Jerusalem. He is the one that appoints He's a priest who was a prophet who reigned uh, in Israel and did a, no, he, sorry, he's a priest who was a prophet of God, and he went through, uh, he lived through several reigns of different kings. About 40 years was his ministry. Four decades. But wasn't really necessarily the most happy life in the no, world. No, the weeping prophet. And so just remember the background that's going on is the rise and fall of Assyria. The Syrian superpower kingdom has already fallen. It's the rise and conquest of Babylon, Babylon conquering Jerusalem, and the Jewish people just not trusting in God, especially what we'll read this week, trusting in Egypt rather than trusting in God. And so what do you need to notice in Jeremiah 29 to 45 in this week's um, DBR and, and as we go through the Old Testament is that Exile is coming over and over this week. You're going to read exile is coming. Judgment is coming. Embrace it. Don't fight it. And God even says this in Jeremiah 29. I'm going to read about 10 verses for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What do you do? Rebel. Take them down. Fight the power. Fight the power. No. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wi- uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent y- you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. Do not let the prophets of your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to their dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. They're saying, nope, we're going to survive. Take down Babylon. Say, nope, I did not send them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, all right, here's a time frame, I will visit you. I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you future and hope. And there's that Bible verse that might be mm. in your kitchen. A Bible verse not meant for us, but meant for Israel to say, remember, embrace my discipline and my judgment 
And for 70 years, it's going to happen. Don't listen to anyone that goes against my word. And we read this over and over this week. I just wanted to read that to emphasize the point that he also goes into this. Why am I going to do this? Because I'm going to pro- I have a promise. I promise to restore you. And throughout this week, Compass, you're going to see just future restoration, you know, temporary restoration as they, the be- exile began 70 years later. But even points to a future restoration of Israel in the millennial kingdom. As we see that in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3. He's going to restore the fortune of his people, Israel and Judah. And I'll bring them back to the land that I gave them their fathers. And they shall take possession of it. Uh, but something also you're going to notice this week is that leads right into there's going to be a new promise because the covenant that God made with uh, them, with Moses on Sinai, is there's going to be that covenant they broke, they disobeyed, they did not fulfill, which leads into Christ fulfilling it. But there's going to be a new covenant. And this week, Compass, we're going to read the new covenant. So make sure you highlight Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. It's kind of easy to remember. Where is the new covenant in the Old Testament? Jeremiah 31, 31. 31 Mm. twice. Come on. And this is the new covenant (laughs) of the house of Israel. It's not the old covenant that he made, but it says a new one. Is a new covenant I'll make to, uh, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And so this is a new covenant that God reveals to Jeremiah and to Israel, say there's a new one coming, which we'll talk about as, as we apply this as Christians. But that is something to definitely notice this week as God shifts to promise, hey, you broke my covenant I'm going to give a new covenant because I'm a promise-keeping God, and that's what you're going to notice. He, God makes a, a ton of promises this week, for example, by keeping Jeremiah safe during the siege of Babylon. How did he keep him safe? Was it in a nice cozy home and in the palace? No, Jeremiah was in prison, and that's how he stayed safe. While Babylon was ravaging the city of Jerusalem, the men, women, and children were just dying Jeremiah was safe because God said, I, you know, I put you in prison. Guess what? I will deliver you. I will keep you safe. And so that's something you're going to notice that God's deliverance might not look the way that we want it to look, but God is going to keep his promise. And two, uh, a few more things you're going to notice this week. There's going to be fierce resistance against Jeremiah, but essentially resistance against God's will that Jean, King Jehoiakim, uh, as he was reading as he was listening to the words of Jeremiah was burning the scrolls. He would listen to a little bit and, and burned it. And that's in Jeremiah 36. And then Jeremiah was in prison. He was thrown into a cistern. He, he had a rough ministry. Mm. People did not like him. His criticism led to physical criticism. And you're going to see that throughout this week, but notice that he does not back down. Instead, he gently and truthfully. Is that preached. a Johnny Cash song? No, Won't I don't back know. Down. I think it is. It could be. I don't really listen to a ton of Johnny Cash. <laughs> there you go. Um, center. I know. But something uh, also you'll notice this week, especially at the end of this week as we read the daily Bible reading, is the fall of Jerusalem itself. And you're going to read that in Jeremiah 39. And finally, one last thing you're going to notice this week, Compass and the DBR, is that there are warnings from God that they just won't listen to. Israel and Judah will just not listen to what God has to say. He warns them in Jeremiah 42, don't go to Egypt, but trust me, embrace the exile, go there, it'll all work out. And even though Babylon just ravaged Jerusalem, they seem like they come humble to Jeremiah and to say, hey, 
uh, hey, Jeremiah, ask God what to do. We'll do it. We'll follow you. He goes, okay, I heard your prayer. Don't go to Egypt. And like, well, you're a liar and we're going to Egypt and we're taking you with us. And mm-hmm. they kidnap him. And actually, that's where Jeremiah eventually Wouldn't dies. Wouldn't they adult nap, adult nap him? Adult nap him, yeah. No, that's that's true. Yeah. But the point being, Compass, is that pay attention to Jeremiah. Notice that as Pastor Hayden preached the sermon in Matthew, the eternal principles are found throughout our Old Testament reading. People refusing to step off the throne, the throne of their lives and not accepting God's position. And you might look like a holy person, but in reality, you're not following God's instruction. Humbly. You're a, sh- a wolf in sheep's clothing. You look like a sheep, but you're not. But you're not. And so what do we do with this as Christians as we read the Jeremiah? Well, one, we find hope in this new covenant and a hope that only God can save. And Paul recounts Jesus' words in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's recounting uh, what Jesus said at the Lord's Supper. And he talks about, this is my body, uh, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Compass, what we need to remember is that God initiated the new covenant when? When he died. When he shed his blood on our behalf so that we can have a right relationship with him. And as a reminder that as over and over, Israel kept trying to save themselves from the destruction that Babylon is bringing. And God said, no, trust me, Jerusalem will fall, but I will protect you. And you'll actually read a group of people that did trust the Lord. And God said, as everyone else has fallen away, you have obeyed and I will keep you safe. It's as a reminder that only God can save us. And as Paul wrote to the Ephesians saying, hey, only by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not the results of works or trusting anything else like the power of Egypt or the power of nations to save us. No, it is, the, it is from God and through God alone. And what are we supposed to do as a result, as a response for Christians? Well, we're supposed to obey him. As he told, as the exiles were told to obey him by, by building homes and praying for the welfare of the city. As Christians, we are supposed to be doing good works, which God has prepared uh, beforehand that we should walk in them as Christians. And so Compass, as, as Jeremiah gets a little glo- more gloomy and dark, see the hope of the new covenant that leads to Christ and the hope that we can have in him and the lives of freedom that we can have being in our rightful place, in the correct place in Christ's kingdom. Hey, and, and to, for another 30 seconds, as we look at the implications of the gospel from uh, Jeremiah's new covenant to Ephesians 2, just I want to give you guys just an encouraging update of the amount of people getting saved here at Compass uh, has been just astronomical. I mean, uh, another word would be uh, glorious, encouraging, uh, just a complete uh, blessing of God being poured out in the lives of people in our church. We've had people getting saved every week, and uh, that's particularly because of the new covenant that we have in Christ's blood, that offer of forgiveness. So I want you to keep praying for people to continue getting saved here at Compass um, and that th- those who are would, uh, obviously, during their baptisms, they'll be sharing that testimony, but they would be bold and encouraged to share their testimony and their witness of how Christ has saved them, as we all ought to, and really look forward to all that God's going to do in our new lives, uh, not only here and now, but also as we await His return. All right, church, we have uh, just a couple of announcements that, that you need to know. 
men's breakfast on November the 12th. Men, we'd love for you to be there. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and how to be temperate men, not passive, but temperate, and how important that's going to be as we continue developing our lives as men of God. We also have our second session of Exploring Compass next week, November the 6th. So if you're someone who has not finished your second session of Exploring Compass, we would invite you to come participate in that after the 11 o'clock service. And then finally, we have our Serve Team Celebration, our annual Serve Team Celebration, coming up on December the 18th. And so what that means is anyone who's served at Compass, if you've gone through Exploring Compass and you've served at our church at all in any capacity, we want to invite you to come celebrate all that God has done through the lives of the people at our church uh, on December the 18th. It'll be an evening of fun. We have games. We're going to have dinner. It's just a celebration uh, of what God's done, and we, we hope that this is one of those hallmark events every year at our church where we get to uh, be encouraged and look forward to all that God is doing. All right, Compass, we're so grateful for you guys. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. <laughs>